Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest for this hour is Danielle Town. She is an investor, and she is the author of the New York Times bestseller book called Invested, How I Learned to Master My Mind, My Fears, and My Money to Achieve Financial Freedom and Live a More Authentic Life. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Danielle. Thanks so much, Jordan. I'm really excited to be here with you. Tell us a little bit about your background. I know your father has been a big investor, but how did you get interested in the whole feeling of field of investing? Yeah, well, I'm the kid of the shoemaker who didn't have any shoes because I I didn't learn any investing stuff from my dad and actually actively avoided it my whole life until I was in my mid-30s. So my background is that I um, have a degree in religion, which he sort of scoffed at a little bit, but then supported. And, um, and then I went to law school and became a emerging companies attorney and venture capital attorney. So I worked with a whole bunch of startups and venture capitalists in Colorado, which I absolutely loved. And, um, and it was only when I started to get burnt out from my work, like I, I loved what I was doing and I loved my colleagues, but uh, the a big law firm tends to lead to very long hours and um, and really nothing but work at some point. And that's where I was. So I started having physical symptoms of stress, like my hair was falling out and I started getting fevers out of the blue. And I was just, I was a mess. And my dad um, said to me at some point, you have to find a way to support yourself without your salary because you may not be able to keep this job up. And I said, oh, no, I'll find something else to do. You know, I figured I would just stick it out and eventually go in-house, which is what many lawyers do. And I kept getting sicker and sicker. And finally, I said, okay, fine. If you want to teach me about investing, I'll, I'll try to learn it. But I have to do it my own way because I knew that his way was not going to work for me. So I... Um, it started this whole journey into investing and it's been an amazing life changer. My whole life has changed completely. Just for people who may not be familiar, tell them a little bit about your father, Phil Town. Yeah, my dad's Phil Town. He's an investor and a writer and a speaker. He wrote a book. Oh gosh, when did this book come out? Rule number one is his first book and it was a bestseller and it came out in like 2000, early 2000s. Um, And then his second book was Payback Time. And he is a value investor. He follows the style of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. So buying companies that he sees as buying the whole company, even though he only owns stock in it and um, or, you know, a small portion of stock and then holding it for a long time and doing so based on the fundamentals. Now, all of that said, he would always tell me about what he was investing in by talking endlessly about the numbers and using spreadsheets and telling me about the financial stuff. And I'm just not a numbers person. Like I'm, it's strange now because I'm an investor now, but, um, and I still am not really a numbers person and I'm never going to be. But the way that he was trying to get me into investing was by sharing what he was excited about, which was all the numbers stuff. And it just completely went over my head. I mean, I remember sitting with him at brunch with my sister and him just rattling on about some boring company with like numbers, 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 numbers. And we just completely tuned it out for about 20 minutes until he 
just eventually stopped talking about it and moved on. So it's, you know, it's when you're somebody who's not naturally into that stuff, the world of finance seems impenetrable and frankly, incredibly boring and not something that I really wanted to spend any time on. And so it was only when I was forced from my health that I started to think like, okay, how do I get into this? So for most people who are probably similar to you in that they're not numbers people, they don't want to delve into earnings reports and all those kind of things. How can they do the a transition similar to what you did uh, to be good investors without having to be numbers people? Yeah. Well, and it's it's people like me. And then also, I'm sure people listening have kids who were like me. And like, how do you get your kids into it? Because you want to have generational wealth, which is the whole goal of most of us. Um, so what I did is my dad started teaching me the basics of value investing that come from Charlie Munger. And there's a few elements to this. So first there's the Charlie Munger part, which is so simple, but not easy. What Charlie Munger said in an interview that he did with the BBC in 2012 was there are four basic principles to good value investing. Number one, you find a company that you can understand. And that's it. He doesn't say that you actually understand right now. He says that you can understand if you put the time into it. The second principle is make sure that that company has a durable and intrinsic competitive advantage, a moat. The third one is to make sure that it has, or sorry, he doesn't say make sure on this one. He says, we would like to have management with integrity and talent. And I love that he says we would like to have that because obviously we all don't know if the management that we pick, if we like them, is going to stick around, something could happen. And you want to choose a company that, um, that anybody could run. And then the final criteria from Charlie is make sure even if you have all of that, you've found a good company, you're like ready to go, you find it at a good price. So a price that's on sale or what Charlie says is with a margin of safety. And, um, and so my dad translates that into at least a 50% margin of safety, actually, from where you think that company should be valued. So we started with those four elements from Charlie and... I was utterly intimidated by the last one, so we just ignored it. And we spent on our podcast, we have a podcast together called Invested, we spent probably 200 hours going through those, well, really all four of them, but really mostly the first three elements of investing. And as we started to do that, I started to practice investing. And through that process, I said to my dad, I'm not going to treat this as something that I'm going to get really good at and then quit. Like there's not going to be an exam at the end of the semester here. What I'm going to do here is make this something that's going to work for me for my entire life. And the only way, because I don't naturally love this stuff the way many people who come to investing do. So for me, it's different because I'm sort of, you know, I have to find a way in. I need to find a way for it to be a wonderful part of my day, a really happy, something I look forward to part of my day, or else I'm not going to do it. I'm going to quit for sure. So I started thinking about it as a practice, as a, uh, a journey of learning and education where the goal is not so much the end. Like, yes, it is to make money and that's great. But the goal for me is actually the experience and loving 
my time spent with researching companies and with reading the news about companies and learning about crazy new parts of the world. I once spent an entire Saturday reading about the milk industry in Canada because I read an article about it and it was so fascinating that I had to learn everything about the milk industry in Canada. And the amazing thing for me has been just discovering that there's so much to learn. And of course, that's what every practice is like. You get into it and you learn there's level after level after level and it's going to be a lifelong process. So that's been really joyful for me. So what would you recommend for people, again, similar to your situation, that they're not really spending much time or effort investing, but they want to have their investments work for them? Do they need to spend 200 hours looking at these things and reading every financial journal? Or how, how can they? No. Productive? Luckily, I've, I've done it for them. <laughs> so I've been through it. I've done the hours. You guys don't have to. And the way that I've done I actually wrote a whole course about it. I have a video course about it called Mostly Invested because most of us out here are mostly invested. We're not totally there yet. And that's totally okay. Um, so there's a few elements to it. One is just knowing those principles from Charlie, like your basic investing, like here's what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it long term. And so I don't have to worry about the timing which really takes a lot of pressure off of somebody who's a newbie. And then the other two elements that really brought me into this, and I'll answer your question specifically about practice in a minute, but on a, on a larger level, the first thing is finding something that you really care about and realizing that we can put our money into that to support it. So as a consumer, I often am finding products and services that I want to buy because I support what the company is doing. They have some kind of you know, conscious or um, general ESG element to them that makes me want to say like, okay, this is a good company. I like what they're doing. I'm going to give them my money. And Often, even in the grocery store, I'll think like, oh, I want to buy organic bananas instead of regular bananas and they cost more, but I'm going to go ahead and do that because it's better for me and it, because it's something I want to support. And we consumers have been doing that now consciously for about 30 years and we have made such a huge difference in the consumer economy. It's now to the point where almost every company has to have some kind of conscious thing that they're doing, some kind of societal help that they're offering in addition to whatever their core business is. And it's even better if it's melded into their core business. And we look for that now. I mean, there's even in the US, there's B Corp stamps right on company um, products where you can say like, okay, they have decided to have um, a conscious element to their shareholding. So we have demanded that as consumers. Now we can do the same as investors. And we just don't. We just are not simply demanding it as investors because we put our money generally into indexes or mutual funds where we're buying so many companies that we don't have that kind of control over our own money. So when I started to think about that and realize how careful I was with my consumer dollars, with my investing dollars, I wanted to do the same. And in doing that, it made these choices so much bigger than just myself. The, the making money, of course, it's important and it does motivate me to some extent, but knowing that I'm being part with literally by literally owning part of a company, knowing that I'm part of changing things out there, that really gets me going. That gets me into reading about it. It gets me wanting to put my money into that company and to see what that management is going to do, how they're going to allocate my capital 
that I'm giving to them. So that made me incredibly interested. And then the other part of it was that as I started going into investing practice um, day after day, month after month, starting to read about companies regularly and, and becoming more educated in the basics, I started to feel like I was not actually all that interested in it. I was having a hard time connecting to the practice of investing. And I couldn't really figure out why, because in theory, everything that I just talked about is very interesting to me intellectually. So I was literally sat down at my dining table and I thought, what is keeping me from really connecting to this practice? And I sat there and I realized that actually it was because I was having an emotional block. Money for us is so emotional. And most of us don't talk about it. Many people who are investors have um, found a way to either deal with it or they deal with it by using their money in a very aggressive way often. But for those of us, the like 95% of us who don't manage our own money regularly, we do it by avoiding. We handle that stress by simply not touching it. And I had, I had done that my whole life. I had not touched it. And here I was engaging with my money for the first time. And in doing so, I realized that I didn't trust my dad. Of all people, yes. this guy who's, who's like a well-known investor who has made like big calls on CNBC about the stock market and was shown to be right, has written books, blah, blah, blah. I didn't trust my dad. And my dad was the one teaching me investing. So I sat there at my dining table and I just thought, what is that? And the thing that I did that I think let me access this in a new way that I had never done, and I was, how old was I then, like 34, 33 or 34? Um, that's, you know, I had been through a lot of stuff in my life. I, I could have maybe figured this out earlier, but I just let myself experience it. And in doing that, I realized that it was very old, this pain. And it was because it really didn't have anything to do with the literal investing stuff that my dad was teaching me or his experience or anything like that. It was entirely because when I was a kid, we dealt with money stuff. And so many of us have money stuff from when we were kids. So with my dad, it was that my parents got divorced when I was a kid. I was about 11 when they split up. And my dad... Um, controlled the money in the family. So when he left, he took the money with him. Oh. And we went from being in a big house that my parents had built and my mom had decorated and, you know, thought would be the forever house. And literally we moved with my mom to a trailer. Wow. And we, so we being my sister and I went through this experience of our parents getting divorced which I remember consciously as being all about like emotional stuff and all the emotional pain that went with that and upheaval. I had never, ever consciously thought about it being related to money at all. But of course it was because that was yeah. a huge change. And for him now, to be fair to him, he did not realize that this had happened, that he had taken the money like that. And when he did, he came back and my parents ended up firing their lawyers and they mediated the whole thing and they ended up being totally friendly today. So things are good. And yet, you know, crazy stuff happens in divorces, right? So yes. <laughs> um, 
So that came out in my investing practice. And it was something I really had to deal with before I could totally move into being a true investor. Interesting. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danielle Town. Uh, She has written a book called uh, Invested, How I Learned to Master My Mind, My Fears, and My Money to Achieve Financial Freedom and Live a More Authentic Life. You can find out more at her website, daniellettown.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you sick and tired of earning only 0.1% on your bank account savings? Well, it's time to earn much more interest by opening a Wealthfront cash account. Right now, Wealthfront is paying 1.82% annual percentage rate on your cash. That's about 18 times more than the national average of what banks are paying these days. With that much of a higher rate, you can accumulate as much in four months that it would take you 50 years to build up at a typical bank. Every year you make New Year's resolutions, like to eat healthier, work out at the gym and earn more money. Now you can keep that last resolution effortlessly with a Wealthfront cash account. There are no fees to set up an account, and your money is insured up to $1 million by the FDIC through their partner banks. It only takes $1 to open an account which you can do quickly online or over the phone. Wealthfront currently has about $22 billion in client assets on deposit. Clients have earned over $70 million in interest on their cash accounts. In addition to being a great place to earn much more interest on your money, Wealthfront is an ideal place to manage your money. You can save, plan, invest, and get solid financial advice all in one place. In fact, my son, who works in the high-tech field, has moved all of his assets from a traditional brokerage firm to Wealthfront and put it in a managed basket of index funds that have performed extremely well. Right now, you can sign up for a Wealthfront cash account in less than five minutes by visiting Wealthfront.com money. Go to Wealthfront.com money and start earning 18 times more interest than you get from a bank. That's Wealthfront.com money. Wealthfront is not a bank. Cash account is offered by Wealthfront Brokerage, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Wealthfront conveys funds to partner banks who accept and maintain deposits, provide the interest rate, and provide FDIC insurance. The APY is subject to change. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danielle Town. She is an investor herself and author of a new book uh, called Invested, How I Learned to Master My Mind, My Fears, My Money, and achieve financial freedom and live a more authentic life. 
Welcome back to the show, Danielle. Thank you. Tell people a little bit about your website, DanielleTown.com, and what they can find there, including a little bit more about the uh, mostly invested video course you offer. Yeah, I'm so excited about this course. It's It was like writing another book, basically. But it um, to answer your question from last segment, it basically condenses everything I learned about how to develop your own investing practice into one seven-week course. And the reason it's seven weeks is that that's enough time to establish a daily practice or, you know, almost every other day, however it works out for you. And by the end of the seven weeks, it'll be integrated into your life. You'll have found how investing can be joyful and fun and like a really good part of your day instead of a pain that you have to figure out how to do on the weekend. And you'll be able to go off and and develop your own investing practice on your own and know exactly what to do. So it's just very short every day. And every day means actually five days a week because we can't all do everything every day. So it's just five days a week for seven weeks of very like 10 minute um, videos about elements of investing practice that I found to be crucial. Excellent. So you talk about the intangibles of the investment process, things like time management, mental and physical preparation, and the environment are part of the process. How do you focus on those things to get good investing results? To me, they're vital. I don't know how anybody does well at long-term investing without having a lot of thought into what kind of situation you have yourself in and being very aware of your own emotions. Because investing is anything with money, including investing, is very emotional if we let it be. And so many of us, I'm sure we all can remember an experience where we have done something with money that we did because it was emotional and completely dumb. I mean, I remember when I was um, in college, it was the height of the dot-com boom. And my dad's an investor, but I had never learned anything. And I remember like I knew people who were making money in the market. And I thought, oh, I can do that. I can make money in the market. So I picked some company and it's telling that I can't even remember what that company was. I picked some company. I did not know what they did. I did not understand their business. I did not know who ran the business. I knew nothing. I just thought for some reason that it was like an okay deal. And I bought shares with pretty much all of my savings. And of course it went down like 50% within three days or something like that. And I just stared at this thing and because I didn't understand it and because I had done it emotionally because I didn't want to get left out like everybody else seemed to be making money, I had no clue what I was doing and I just ended up selling and never touching investing again basically until I was in my mid 30s. And most of us have a story like that where we just thought like, oh, somebody said that it was okay and you don't really get it and um, and you just make an emotional decision. So to me, successful investing, which means as my dad always says, Buffett's number one rule is don't lose money. And what's rule number two? Don't forget rule number one. Yeah. So don't lose money is our goal. And I lost money in that situation. So I learned the thing to do is be very aware of my own mastery over my own emotions so that when I'm making decisions, I'm making them from a place of calm, of intellectual rigor, and of true understanding of what I'm buying and what I'm going to own and be involved with for 
hopefully a long time because I'm looking to be involved with these investments for, you know, 10, even 20 years. Buffett has some investments he's never sold. He still owns American Express, Coca-Cola, some others that he's had for 30 to 40 years at this point, which is a fantastic way to live and, and to be calm and not have the ups and downs of being an investor. So to me, emotions and the way your environment supports your emotions is everything to being successful. Well, talk about being calm. Apparently, meditation is a big part of your world. How do you apply meditation to investing? It is. Um, I actually grew up meditating. I first learned to meditate when I was five years old. And they gave us a, a program where like little kids can walk around and color while they have a mantra. Um, it's called Transcendental Meditation, which I'm sure many people have heard of. And I just grew up with it. So I got my sitting meditation when I was 10 and have been meditating ever since. So to me, having that paradigm of, um, of experiencing transcendence and a way to relieve stress is second nature. And when I started my investing practice, I just sort of automatically applied that to what I was doing with investing at, to the point where now investing to me has become kind of a meditative practice. It's a place where I can escape from everything else crazy going on in my world and sit down and dive into something that really makes me feel grounded and calm and excited to learn something new. So truly, when I um, am upset, I'll say to myself, okay, I just need to sit down and, and like go read about Chipotle Mexican Grill for <laughs> half an That's hour. That's your meditation, right? Like, well, I still do the other kind of meditation too. But truly, it feels meditative to me. It feels like a place where I'm coming to center myself. And that's the core of any meditation practice. It's to center yourself. It's to ground yourself. It's to become aware of what's going on with you, of your own emotions, right? As we were just talking about. And if investing practice can be that, then it starts to feel like a safe haven. And just the process is the reward. There is a nice monetary reward, and I never like to forget that because we all want financial freedom, and I certainly do. Don't get me wrong. But the process, the experience is the real reward. Now, you do talk about freedom in the book, uh, but you say it's a different kind of freedom than you expected. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I went through such a crazy journey. And the book is a memoir, really, of what I went through from being not interested in investing at all to learning how to invest and and feeling like, okay, I'm going to change my life because of this. So what I expected to come out of investing was that I would like somehow magically just make a ton of money and then I would be able to quit my job and like, I don't know what, like sort of like live, I guess, magically. And that didn't happen in one year. This is not rich, get rich quick. This is definitely get rich slow. But as part of that, I discovered this whole inner experience, which to me is freedom. And as I was discovering investing practice, developing how to put it together, all these other crazy things started happening to me 
to create freedom in my life. So I don't know. It's just wild. When you start to put your mind towards greater things, the universe starts to support you. And what happened to me is, so I was like stuck in this job, which again, I really liked and, and I loved my work and my colleagues, but it was just too much. So I ended up getting another job offer for a different firm where I was supposed to work less. And so that alone was kind of completely out of the blue. And I took that. And then as I was switching firms, I went on a trip to Europe because I just needed to, um, you know, decompress and get away from the burnout. And I, all my friends worked and I was single. So I just went on a solo trip to Europe for about three weeks. And I went to visit a friend in Zurich, Switzerland. And she introduced me to a guy who I ended up getting married to about a year later. So we started dating long distance and I was learning about investing and I started my podcast with my dad. And as I was going through all of this, um, we were (laughs) dating and trying to figure out what to do. And I started getting questions from people about how I was learning investing and what I was doing because my approach seemed kind of different from my dad. Um, not in the actual investing core, but just in my practice approach. And um, and so I realized that writing a book would actually be really useful. And so that's what I ended up doing. So freedom became me quitting. It was all the stuff that I imagined. It just came out differently. So I ended up quitting my job and leaving that whole life. I ended up getting married. I ended up moving to Europe. I live in Switzerland now. And investing became my career and writing about investing became my career. Um, So I'm definitely not financially independent. I don't have like a trust fund. Like I am investing for the future and I have money coming in from that, but it's not um, a financial freedom level yet, but it will get there. And yet my life is exactly what I imagined it could be if I had that, like, you know, imaginary bazillions in a bank account. Great. Now, part of the the basic nature of investing is uncertainty. And we couldn't have a better example than this last week when we were on the brink of World War III and then it pulled back and the market went up and the market plunged when there were bombs going off. How do you deal with uncertainty when you decide what to invest, what to buy, and what to sell? Oh my gosh, I have to tell you, it is the best because I don't deal with it at all. I watched that stuff and I read the, you know, the headlines and I felt zero worry and zero uncertainty in the sense of my investing. Now, as far as, you know, the US and everything happening, there was many uncertainty levels and worry about that. But as far as money and the markets, I felt nothing because it doesn't really matter to me if the market goes up or if the market goes down. And to be honest, I kind of hope that it goes down because I would like to be able to buy some companies at good prices. Um, And they're hard to find right now. But if it goes up, that's also fine because I'm just looking for companies that are well-priced and it doesn't really matter what's happening in the overall market. So it's a tremendous level of just peace of mind. And I kind of view it as 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 a viewer as as being separate and just sort of looking at it as an observer well i mean i'm really not cuz i'm involved in the market but it's a it's a lovely experience when stuff like that happens and everybody else starts freaking out and 
we value investors with like a strong practice get to just sit back and go, you know what, I'm just going to wait for companies that are on my wish list to come to the price where I want them to be. And that's it. And if they're not there, then that's fine. And you just sort of so, enjoy so what it. What do you recommend about the news? I mean, should you not be watching the news and that, so you don't get emotionally whipped up and down? That's a very good question. And it's actually something I was just talking to my friend Guy Spear about, who's a, who's a great investor. We, I haven't come to a conclusion about that. I do read the news. And I read it, as I said, with an interest to what's happening on the global stage and to just kind of have a general sense of what's happening in the markets. But it, it doesn't really bother me emotionally. So I do go ahead and read it. He... I think tries not to. And I found that to be an interesting perspective from an investor to like not read the news, but he finds that he doesn't want to be, have that uncertainty and that whipsaw effect that you mentioned, which I also totally understand. Cause if you just withdraw from it and you focus on more, um, long-term information, if you focus on, you know, just SEC filings and analyst reports and, and sort of more well thought out comments about what you're looking at um, in the market and ignore the up and down daily news cycle, you really save yourself a lot of time. I mean, reading that stuff takes time and we don't tend to think about it because I don't know about you, but I tend to read this stuff on my phone and just kind of scroll through and it feels like it takes no time at all. But really, when you add that stuff up, it does take quite a bit of the day. So I understand both perspectives. I, t- I still read it because I find that if I don't, I kind of wonder what's happening. Yeah, but you don't act to it. You don't respond to it. I mean, you, you, you watch CNBC and, you know, What's going to happen in the next ten minutes and that kind of thing? Oh, that, that, I can't that, handle it. I can't stand yeah. it. It just annoys the. It annoys me so much. Yeah. I, I yeah. think twenty-four hour news has destroyed our culture to some extent because they're just trying to fill time, and there is not enough news most of the time to fill that much time. So they put commentators on, and I don't really care what the commentators think. So I just don't watch that stuff. So you're a value investor. In the next segment, we're going to get into more detail about that. But this has been an era for the last 10 years or more where growth has done really well and value has underperformed terribly. So why do you have faith that value is the place to be in today's market where growth is where all the action is? I don't really buy the the definitions of value and growth the way most people use them. I think a quote-unquote growth company can be easily a quote-unquote value company. Um, Well, I suppose the way I would use it, which is a company, as I said, with those principles that Charlie Munger set forth. It's a company I understand. It's a company that has a great moat that's intrinsic to its business model. It's a company that's run by people that I trust and respect and want to be aligned with and in theory maybe even hang out with. And it's a company that I bought at a low enough price that even if I'm wrong about that stuff, it's still going to do pretty well and I won't lose money. So all of those things can apply to a growth company just as much as they can to a quote unquote value company. Um, Now, that said, you're right. A lot of investors following this path have had a hard time in the last few years, and I'm happy to get more into that in our next segment. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danielle Town. Uh, she is the author of a New York Times best-selling book called Invested, How I Learned to Master My Mind, My Fears, and My Money to Achieve Financial Freedom and Live a Much More Authentic Life. 
Uh, her website is daniellettown.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you sick and tired of earning only 0.1% on your bank account savings? Well, it's time to earn much more interest by opening a Wealthfront cash account. Right now, Wealthfront is paying 1.82% annual percentage rate on your cash. That's about 18 times more than the national average of what banks are paying these days. With that much of a higher rate, you can accumulate as much in four months that it would take you 50 years to build up at a typical bank. Every year you make New Year's resolutions, like to eat healthier, work out at the gym and earn more money. Now you can keep that last resolution effortlessly with a Wealthfront cash account. There are no fees to set up an account, and your money is insured up to $1 million by the FDIC through their partner banks. It only takes $1 to open an account which you can do quickly online or over the phone. Wealthfront currently has about $22 billion in client assets on deposit. Clients have earned over $70 million in interest on their cash accounts. In addition to being a great place to earn much more interest on your money, Wealthfront is an ideal place to manage your money. You can save, plan, invest, and get solid financial advice all in one place. In fact, my son, who works in the high-tech field, has moved all of his assets from a traditional brokerage firm to Wealthfront and put it in a managed basket of index funds that have performed extremely well. Right now you can sign up for a Wealthfront cash account in less than five minutes by visiting Wealthfront.com money. Go to Wealthfront.com money and start earning 18 times more interest than you get from a bank. That's Wealthfront.com money. Wealthfront is not a bank. Cash account is offered by Wealthfront Brokerage, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Wealthfront conveys funds to partner banks who accept and maintain deposits, provide the interest rate, and provide FDIC insurance. The APY is subject to change. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danielle Town. She's the author of a book called Invested, How I Learned to Master My Mind, My Fears, and My Money to Achieve Financial Freedom and Live a More Authentic Life. Her website, daniellettown.com. Welcome back to the show, Danielle. Thanks, Jordan. So let's go into the details a little bit more about value investing. What are the, what's the first principle of value investing? And maybe going into that, give us an example of a company that you, you think meets that principle. Yeah, so the first principle, according to Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's investing partner, is that it should be a company that you can understand. Now, 
that sounds ultra simple. I can probably understand most companies. But then you start to decide which company you're actually going to look into and spend your time on and try to really understand. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, there's a lot of companies that I definitely don't understand or I don't understand their industry or I don't really understand how they handle like their back end stuff. And um, and you start to realize like you're you're what Buffett calls the circle of competence is actually pretty narrow. And what he recommends is that you keep that really narrow. You don't try to be an expert in everything. The other problem that many people have who are new to investing is that they feel like they know the opposite. They feel like they know nothing about anything. And of course, that's not true at all, because we all have interests, hobbies, jobs, vocations, families, where we interact with many companies that we actually know quite a lot about, which is kind of amazing when you start to look around the world. And I feel like I have kind of like 4D glasses on all of a sudden. And I start to see companies that I interact with and can totally understand all over the place. I have a friend who's in New York and I was there visiting and he came and met me for coffee. And as he was coming in, he said, oh my God, I just was walking over here and I looked down and I saw a manhole cover. And he said he looked at this manhole cover for the first time. He had never actually like stared at a manhole cover because how many of us have ever done that? And it had the name of a company on it. And he looked it up as he was coming over to the coffee shop on his phone and it was an old family company from upstate New York that had made manhole covers for the city of New York from like a hundred years ago and this manhole cover is still there and still protecting the hole in the street and here's this guy who discovered it a hundred years later and went and looked and found that it's still run by a family and connected all of a sudden investing, which because of course that's investing just because it's not a public company doesn't mean it's not investing or practice or related to investing. That's learning about companies and about the stuff that's in our world. And all of a sudden he had this new appreciation of, of all things, manhole covers on the streets of New York. So that's, to me, that's just like the best example of being able to understand companies around us. And for me, I mean, I really started with consumer companies because that's what I interact with as a human on this earth. You know, I literally listed like, what was my car? I had a Nissan Xterra. So I put down Nissan. I shopped a lot at Whole Foods. So I put down Whole Foods. I did yoga. So I put down Lululemon. Um, And I still follow a lot of these companies today and they've become some of my favorites yeah and then the second principle is the moat so Mm -hmm. maybe describe what a moat is and there are specific some numbers you want to look at to see if a company has a moat defending its particular market position right so with a moat which is an intrinsic and durable competitive advantage according to charlie munger you want that to be intrinsically part of the company's model because Otherwise, it can go away much more easily. And there are a number of kinds of moats, which we put down in the book. A couple examples are um, a toll bridge moat, which is generally a government-provided monopoly. So like a railroad is a great example of that. Burlington Northern is a company that Buffett's invested in. And they have a fantastic moat that almost nobody can take away from them except the government 
And I don't think any new railroads are probably going to pop up anytime soon. Um, another one that I find really interesting these days is the network effect moat, um, which is when a whole lot of people are using the network and that gives a company much more of a competitive advantage than some upstart that's coming up and doesn't have those people. So social media is the classic example of that, like Facebook and Instagram together, incredible moat, because even if you hate Facebook, you're probably on Instagram and vice versa. Um, and then the numbers, as you asked, are um, just a couple of them are the ROI or the ROE, sorry, the return on equity. You want to look at the ROIC, which is the return on invested capital. And those numbers, and then you want to make sure that they have very little debt. And those numbers um, just can tell us what management is doing with capital, how they're allocating capital. Now, I've learned since I wrote the book that there is so much to know about allocation of capital. And I, it's like one of my favorite topics these days. I find it fascinating. There's a great book by Jacob Taylor that Charlie Munger himself read and recommended. And oh, I'm blinking on the, on the title of it. But look up Jacob Taylor on Amazon. Okay. And um, it's called Something Apprentice. And, um, and it's a great book about capital allocation, which Munger and Buffett just think is the absolute best way to choose a company. So Moat has very has a lot of elements to it, has various facets, um, but it's, so you, it's you maybe one Facebook of You Facebook a little bit. Why, why don't you mention another company maybe that you have invested in uh, that has a particularly good Moat, just to explain the, uh, the concept? Well, so one of my favorites is Chipotle, which I invested in when Chipotle Mexican Grill when they had the whole food poisoning crisis, they had E. coli in their restaurants. Yes. Yes. And their price dropped down to like 300 something. And by the way, I'm still not a numbers person. So I always forget what dollar figures I buy and sell things at. But it was like 300 something. And, um, and I love that company because first of all, I can understand it. I get that it's a fast casual food service company and their part of their business model is to have organic natural foods as much as possible with humanely treated animals to provide the meat and they do not um, do pre-prepared food they prepare it in the restaurants which is partly what caused that food poisoning crisis so after that happened um, I wanted to buy into it because Nobody can match Chipotle for having fantastic Mexican food that has those elements of natural foods and organic foods. And that's something I personally really care about. So to me, that's the putting my money where my values are aspect of it. And, um, and I knew that they would be able to come out of it. I was, you know, 99% sure they would be able to come out of it. And they've done such a good job. They've completely revamped their whole food distribution system and have turned it around insanely and it's been so much fun to be part of that rise you talk about the windage growth rate what do you mean by that as it relates to a moat oh that would probably take longer than the time we have so basically i made up windage growth rate because my dad was teaching me all of these different growth rates to look at and then he kept saying so then just pick one and i was like pick one like what is that like you mean like average them or find the median like give me you know give me a formula give me an equation that I can use because as a beginner you know you don't know what to do you don't know what's up and what's down so I was like just tell me what to do and he goes no you just pick one 
Like you have to use your judgment as though you're measuring, this is his analogy, so I'm trying to remember it. It's, it's, some, it's, a, it's a like target practice analogy. When you're shooting guns, you take into account the wind coming in that might push the bullet one way or another as it goes down the range. And that's called the windage, apparently. So I named it, he told me that, and I was like, all right, so I'm going to call this the windage growth rate. Because basically, you're just sort of putting your finger in the wind and taking a guess. And you have to use all of your understanding of that company and that industry and your investing experience and perspective. And again, this is where emotions come in, because if you love a company, you know, you can accidentally give it a really high growth rate when it shouldn't have it. Um, Not that I've ever done that. And so the windage growth rate is just all about using your own skills to decide where this company is going to go. Very good. Uh, The third uh, principle of investing is management with integrity and talent. Without meeting them yourself, most people are not going to meet the CEO of a company. How can you judge management that has integrity and talent? And what would be a name of a company that you really think has a lot of talent that you've invested in? Oh, yeah, this is where like the rubber meets the road because most of us will never meet these people running these companies. And you just kind of have to get comfortable with that. And frankly, it is one of the major focuses of my practice to get better and refine my process of evaluating people who I will never meet and who I only know about through the third party of the news media or the internet really um and of course you know they do speak on their investor calls and occasionally you can get more direct feedback from them so it's not all through other people but it's very it's very hard to get a sense and so the way that i do it is i just try to get um, there's this sort of term in value investing of the scuttlebutt, like try to get like the word on the street. So I will, if it's a consumer company, I will like go to that store and talk to employees about what they think about their management, try to get a sense if they're happy. Um, I can look on Glassdoor and find out what people are posting about that company or Reddit or any internet board. You can find out a lot about companies from finding out what people are complaining about. And there's no perfect company out there. There's no perfect management. People are always upset about something. But the task is to determine, is that something something that I'm comfortable with? Or is it something that I really don't want to be involved in? Um, So a company that I invested in was my first ever investment was Whole Foods, which Uh I already mentioned because I literally just shopped there and definitely, you know, went through the whole paycheck experience and was very happy to do so because they have such a fantastic selection of items that I really trusted. And Whole Foods was started by John Mackey, who is the founder and leader of the conscious capitalism movement and wrote a great book called conscious capitalism about how the idea that you can either have a non-profit or a for-profit and they're completely opposed to each other is ridiculous and that a for-profit company can actually in its own nature do better by making more profit and then help the world with that profit and then do better and make more profit and help the world with that profit and that most companies should follow that model for real sustainability and success. And he did that with Whole Foods. So I 
loved Whole Foods. I shopped there. I researched the company and I trusted him, frankly. And when I bought Whole Foods, nobody was quite sure what was happening with it because it was um, kind of in a state of limbo of facing a lot of challenges from um, the big box grocery stores, from Target, from online groceries and and really trying to figure out its place. And so I bought that company about a year before Amazon bought it. And I didn't know Amazon was even interested, but I trusted John Mackey to make the right decision because that company is his baby. He started it in Austin, Texas, and actually even left the company for a little while because he wanted to retire. And then it wasn't doing so well. So he came back and found a buyer for it and has actually been working with Amazon since they bought it to try to keep the Whole Foods culture. Now, whether or not he's being successful at doing that, I'm not so sure. But it was what came out of that was exactly what I expected. I didn't know what would happen, but I knew that he would take care of his baby, that company. And he did. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this, this hour is Danielle Town. She's got a new book out called Invested, How I Learned to Master My Mind, My Fears, and My Money to Achieve Financial Freedom and Live a Much More Authentic Life. You can check her out at her website, daniellettown.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you sick and tired of earning only 0.1% on your bank account savings? Well, it's time to earn much more interest by opening a Wealthfront cash account. Right now, Wealthfront is paying 1.82% annual percentage rate on your cash. That's about 18 times more than the national average of what banks are paying these days. With that much of a higher rate, you can accumulate as much in four months that it would take you 50 years to build up at a typical bank. Every year you make New Year's resolutions, like to eat healthier, work out at the gym and earn more money. Now you can keep that last resolution effortlessly with a Wealthfront cash account. There are no fees to set up an account and your money is insured up to $1 million by the FDIC through their partner banks. It only takes $1 to open an account which you can do quickly online or over the phone. Wealthfront currently has about $22 billion in client assets on deposit. Clients have earned over $70 million in interest on their cash accounts. In addition to being a great place to earn much more interest on your money, Wealthfront is an ideal place to manage your money. You can save, plan, invest, and get solid financial advice all in one place. In fact, my son, who works in the high-tech field, has moved all of his assets from a traditional brokerage firm to Wealthfront and put it in a managed basket of index funds that have performed extremely well. Right now you can sign up for a Wealthfront cash account in less than five minutes by visiting Wealthfront.com money. Go to Wealthfront.com money and start earning 18 times more interest than you get from a bank. That's Wealthfront.com money. Wealthfront is not a bank. Cash account is offered by Wealthfront Brokerage, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Wealthfront conveys funds to partner banks who accept and maintain deposits, provide the interest rate, and provide FDIC insurance. 
The APY is subject to change. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, uh, and my guest this hour is Danielle Town. So, Danielle, kind of sum it all up. What a difference, what, what kind of difference would it make in people's lives to follow the principles you've talked to uh, be fully invested It's the kind of difference that makes you feel like you have security and space and freedom inside of you. And I feel like I never have to depend on a salary ever again. And that, to me, is complete financial freedom and freedom in my life. And it doesn't get better than that, really. And you think this is achievable by many more people that are now really fully invested? Oh, definitely. And I think it would be so much better for our economy if people who were not now investing started to really think about what their money is supporting and make their own investing choices. We would be more informed and we would have better companies out there because we would be making much better choices than people who are doing this professionally, frankly. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Danielle Town. Her book is called Invested. How I Learned to Master My Mind, My Fears, and My Money to Achieve Financial Freedom and Live a More Authentic Life. You can also check her out at her website, DanielleTown.com. Thanks for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Danielle. It's been so much fun. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.